This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1173, entitled Stacks of Nothing in My Sleeve. Our podcast title is Podzilla, Pod Ooh. of Monsters. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. I was going to go and see Annihilation. Yes. And uh, Winchester. Um, Winchester has actually opened. I'll get to see that next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but Annihilation seems to have been pulled from general release. I've heard a lot of, um, I mean, there's been murmurs about that film for at least six months mm-hmm. around release and is it too weird? What's going on with it? Too weird. And <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I wonder, it's made me more curious than anything really because you could say that something like Arrival is pretty weird. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what. It thinks it's so special. But I think part of the rights have gone to Netflix from what I understand and... That's one of Jeff Vandermeer's novels. Hmm. So, yeah, apparently it's strayed quite a bit from the book or, like, in terms of it's quite different. But, I mean, it's par for the course with adaptation sometimes. So I wonder, maybe they're just playing it too safe. Who's the studio for that? Paramount. Yeah, interesting. I mean, they're not usually that gun-shy. Yeah, so very interesting. I think some one of the things is that two of the characters in the book apparently are people of colour and they're the characters that are played by Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh. But I don't think that would be enough yeah. to... I think it's just been a bit riddled with issues from what I can tell. Well, I really liked Ex Machina and Alex Garland's film. And so I'm wondering what uh, the story is on this. Well, we'll dig deeper into that as we go along yeah. next week, I suppose. Might be on Netflix by next week. Well, apparently um, Paramount has said that it was too intellectual and too complicated for mass audiences. Oh, okay. I mean, come on. Yeah. But what, then again, we're not really mass audience, are we? Even <laughs> you know, a gentle little indie release. Yeah. They're really playing it. Safe. I don't know if it's going to be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd like Annihilation. The the, uh, the the trailer looks pretty gory, like like sort of stalker, but um, like they like uh, Tarkovsky had the budget to actually put some special effects in it. And isn't that, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! But isn't this sort of where we're meant to be heading? A bit more, some more yeah, intellectual, yeah. visceral. Sci-fi, you know, blending the, blurring yeah. the lines, but oh it's, well, it's where we are taking us. <laughs> speaking, speaking of which, uh, and and things that um, have not held back on their release, like they could stop it. Black Panther, mm. they've had a second weekend uh, at the box office in the US um, and overseas at first place. Mm. So it's great. That, this means that they've um, the second largest second weekend ever. Um, outpacing the second weekend halls of uh, Avengers and Jurassic World. Well, it sounds like it's been a bit of a word of mouth one too because mm. I would say a lot of people, are, oh, I don't know if I'll see that or not, I'm sort of interested. And then once word gets out after that first weekend of people saying, yeah, it's worth seeing, I know there's a lot of stuff out, but head along, and then it kind of keeps the momentum. That's what I'd wager. I've, I've also been... Um Doing some retro reading. I know we did it, reviewed it. That's very much Scooby Doo, isn't it? Retro reading. Um, 
uh, wrong species actually, not canines. We're talking about big cats here. Uh, and I was speaking last the other when we did the review of Black Pan for um, saying it's interesting that Afrofuturism is a movement mm. that owes a lot to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Black Pan for comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, and rereading the early Kirby issues, I can see now how his own formative reading which uh, doubtless included Edgar Rice Burroughs and H. Ryder Haggard <laughs> with their exotic lost African kingdoms, must have influenced the creation of Wakanda. Mm. And he simply in- injected those old myths and stories. Um, you might also want to look up the uh, myths and legends of Prester John uh, with a good dose of cosmic Kirby crackle and changed the paradigm so it's the Africans who are on top. And, in fact, one of the old 1970s Kirby Black Panther stories I read the other day is actually about King Solomon's tomb mm. and some golden frog artefacts that could be used for time travel. I think um, adventurer Alan Quatermain would be envious of that. And the 15 or so cosmic Kirby Sable Big Kitty issues that I've now read include <laughs> T'Challa getting his panther sense psi powers from vibranium, uh, enemies who can phase through solid matter, uh, a coup in Wakanda by a bloke who turns into a monster after being exposed to bad vibes and vibranium radiation. That's another reason why Wakanda is isolationist. They're protecting the rest of the world from radiation exposure. And there's also an ad hoc hero-up team by T'Challa's royal blood relatives, all of whom are varying sorts of type. One's a, one's a racing car driver. <laughs> who, who likes nothing better than driving around Wakanda's roads. He can't get outside because there's mountains in the way, but he likes <laughs> doing that. Um, and other cousins, like there's, a, there's a, 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 a young doctor who's so young that he's like fresh out of medical school. These are just not the people who you would expect to hero up and mm-hmm. they all get their little black panther uniforms and they work together and it's teamwork. Aww. It's actually really nice. The masthead of those old panther comics, with the sleekness of a jungle beast, the prince of Wakanda stalks both the concrete of the city and the undergrowth of the veldt, for when danger lurks, he dons the garb of the savage cat from which he gains his name. (laughs) And by the end of the dozen or so issues um, uh, that Kirby did then, in this particular run, T'Challa's back in New York working with the Avengers again, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, is why T'Challa sometimes has problems back in Wakanda. He's never at home. He's always off with the Avengers. (laughs) So, you know, it's really interesting. This mo- this movie has um, inspired me to go back and read uh, earlier issues of the comic. Nice. Especially by Jack Kirby because all that wonderful science fiction stuff that he did. Ah, oh, glorious. And I hadn't read these before, so it's really a, tr- really a treat. Uh, just Star Trek Discovery. We've had the, um, the final episode of the first season. Oh, okay. It's called Will You Take My Hand? and presumably leave it attached to the rest of my body because it's a quite gruesome show at times. Um, the last episode had, and spoiler, if you have not seen it, I know that some people are still waiting because it's on Netflix. They're waiting for it to come to free to air. That's a long wait. I know. Yeah. I'd be interested to <laughs> see how long they're planning to wait. Yeah. But, okay, spoilers for that last episode, right? Uh, and for the whole season, really. The Mirror Universe Emperor Georgia, Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I love how I'm so far back that none of that makes any sense. Yes. So. In command, I've done you a terrible disservice. No, it's all, all right. It's all right. You, yeah, well, okay. I had my chance. Full speed ahead, warp yeah. speed. In command of the Prime Universe Discovery, she is the Emperor. So she's from the Mirror Universe and she's mm-hmm. in charge of our Discovery. Uh, she's the Federation's last best hope to defeat the Klingon Empire before they can destroy Earth. Dun, dun, dun. 
and the the discovery journey to the Klingon homeworld, Kronos, where they planted a bomb that could cause a chain reaction in the planet's volcanoes, killing yeah. the entire population of the planet and destroying the world's Gracious. surface. Discovery's crew, however, did not sign on for genocide because uh, even under these circumstances, and they stopped the plan at the 11th hour. A very fine affirmation of what Starfleet stands for and a satisfying conclusion to a season where things got very dark and very grim indeed. It sounded like it really took it up a notch oh, towards did, the end there. It did. The, the Klingon woman, Laurel, uh, ended up in charge of the Klingon Empire using the still active bomb as a big stick against her people. Mm-hmm. That's the way the Klingons roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ash Tyler, our hybrid human Klingon, stayed with her. Mm. So he didn't go home sort of, well, to his other homes with the humans. Uh, Emperor Giorgio was allowed to escape. So is she going to be uh, Discovery's Khan, you know, and come back? After a triumphant return to Earth and some damn fine speechifying by Michael Burnham, the Discovery flew off to pick up a new captain, encountering en route a distress signal which led them to rendezvous with, Mm. spoiler, the USS Enterprise herself. Yeah. Interesting. Presumably captained by Captain Christopher Pike with perhaps a certain young Vulcan officer also aboard. So will Michelle get to meet her um, her uh, her adopted brother? Oh, sorry. She's the adopted one, but her sibling. What do you call that? She's a she's this half-sister or adopted? I don't know. Mm. Oh, anyway, her bro. <laughs> now, this is a season which has played the fans like a Vulcan lyrette's strings, setting us up a, a couple of big, rather sneaky plot shifts, which had us saying, this isn't how Star Trek should be, and then they gave us a major reason why it wasn't. So I'm really satisfied with it, apart from... The spore drive. <laughs> <laughs> After a hand-to-hand combat battle aboard the Emperor's flagship, which may have been the most amazing flight fight uh, in terms of um, you know people involved as opposed to starships slugging it out, I think that was that's the most incredible um, sequence I've ever seen on Star Trek for that kind of thing. Wow. They used all of their technology and it was fast-paced. I thought, oh my god, what am I watching here? Uh, and why, why would they let Ash stay with the Klingons? Um, I mean, you know, he's this Klingon hybrid and he's got all of the intelligence and stuff that, uh, you know, you'd think the Federation didn't like to hang on to that. Yeah. But it wasn't a choice left to admirals, so, you know, he got to do what he wanted to do or what he felt he had to do. And why would they let Giorgio escape? Really? I mean, that's it. put her in charge of a, of a prime starship. It's just ridiculous without any monitoring or anything. Mm. It's just insane. So some of these plot, plot points, I went going, huh? But, you know, they just brought it all home anyway in spite of some of the illogical stuff at the, in, in, in it. Ah. And they should leave um, the alien Saru in command. And perhaps they will. I don't know. And we got to see the new, the uh, the en- the old Enterprise, but it was kind of upgraded because this is like you know now. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh! And and they played the Star Trek music. Oh. We recorded it. And Did you get very excited? I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good good one. I've enjoyed um, and been terrified by Star Trek Discovery this season. Mm. I know it's been hard on some people who just haven't been able to uh, lock onto it or they didn't like some of the, the plot devices and stuff. And I'm yeah. in sympathy with some of that. But overall, it, it worked for me and I'm really stoked to see the second season now. So for a, a first season of a, of a Star Trek um, incarnation, I think they really did a good job with this. Nice. 
I would have done some things differently, but that's all right. You know, I pulled it off in the end. Okay, so um, moving on quickly to uh, another Netflix movie which I watched just Ooh. just off the on the off chance it might be good. Yes. It's an animated film. And? And it's called Godzilla, Planet of Monsters. Oh. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it is an animated film and it kind of counts as a, as a Godzilla movie, mm-hmm. but it's not set now. So we've just, you know, we've had Shin Godzilla, yes, the most I recent see. film. Mm. Which is great, by the way. Yeah. Shin Godzilla. We both like that. Uh, yes, we did. Um this is a uh, a film that's set far, far in the future. Mm. So, okay, what's happened is that um, basically Godzilla has is in the process of conquering the Earth along with all of the monsters, the Avakaju, and Earth is in real bad trouble. Mm. Some aliens arrive uh, with um, a lot of alien technology and they offer to help defeat Godzilla, but okay. it still doesn't work. There's right. not, still not enough... Still, we just don't have enough. Even our Mecha Godzilla robot doesn't work. Interesting. So there's all sorts of problems there, and I, and I do wonder if there was meant to be some kind of chicanery involved in there. But that's all put put it put behind. It says part one. Yes, it does say part one. There's there's two other movies that they've got on the slate. Um, and as I said, this is an anime, and uh, oh, remind me of the director's name, would you? Because I've I've. The director is two directors, yes. Hiroyuki Seshita mm-hmm. and Koban Shizuno. That's right. And they... Um, Butchered those names. No, that's all right. <laughs> I'll go with that. Uh, and the uh, both of those have in common um, some television series like Knights of Sidonia ah. and uh, Soul Buster and um, what's everyone? Uh, a few others uh, like Detective Conan. Oh. Uh, these, are, these are, you know, uh, Japanese animated films yes. and television series. Uh, Chen... Uh, Orobuchi, that's G-E-N, uh, he did, um, he's the writer. He also worked on Phantom Requiem for the Phantom, nothing to do with the um, uh, the uh, Asia-Pacific Phantom, and uh, Gargantina on the Verdurous Planet, also Psychopass. Hmm. So he's had uh, quite a few strings to his bow as well. And they've brought this all together in this amazing story where uh, the survivors of the ravaged Earth have gone out in space searching for a new home. Oh, that's always going to end well. Well, before you can say star blazers, they turn back towards home. They can't find a place that's going to house the remnants of humanity. And they end up back at, uh, on Earth. But mm. because of time dilation, space drives and that sort of stuff, it's like 20,000 years later. Oh, yeah, I love when there's that schism of time yeah. timeline. So what's Earth going to be like um, under the foot of Godzilla as it was when they left? What's it going to be like when they get home? Oh, it's going to be great, I imagine. Well, this is <laughs> Just called a picnic. Godzilla, Planet of Monsters. So you can bet that there's going to be some... Little bulky, hint there, yeah. yeah. little hint, very large hint. Mm-hmm. And the story is amazing because they set out to recolonise Earth. Okay. They, they, they kind of think maybe... Is it like... Like Planet of the Apes, but Planet of the Gojira monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, you know, you might think actually think that given their space technology, they might as well just colonise somewhere safe like the moon. You would think. 
You'd think. Uh, maybe there's even some people still up there, you know, colonies, that sort of technology. Mm. But no, they go boring in with a massive assault team and you know how this is all going to... Yes. It's going it's to stoke up into a battle royale, only without the uh, crazy school children of that franchise. And so it proves... Now, the way they've depicted Godzilla, because this is one of those anime films where they use CGI as well, uh, in, in there along with the regular animation. Oh, uh, Godzilla looks like a force of nature. Um, you know, this is like he's one of the yeah. all four of the bad elements that all come together, like the four horsemen. Sort it kind of, thing. of has a very wolfy face. Like yeah, kind of. but on the screen, even on the, in the relatively smaller screen from, from the next Netflix download, oh, he is awesome. And there is a lot of fighting in this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really appreciated about this, this is their Godzilla battling procedural. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that's always a feature yeah. of all Godzilla movies. Yeah. Uh, this time it is actually very well worked out. Um, sounds like it might actually work in the fictional world of Gojira. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well depicted, um, nuanced. I mean, this is one of those things about some anime films, the battle tactics in them can actually be better than in live action yeah. science fiction yeah. films. And that proves the case here. Um, are the characterizations any good? Well, you know, Godzilla is Godzilla. Um and there's some surprises in the uh, old spiky tail for this one too. Okay. Um, the main character in the human side is uh, Captain Haruro Sakaki and he is a uh, voice acted by uh, Mamoru Miyano who was in, um, played the character of Ignis Scientia in the Final Fantasy video games and TV series. And Megan will like this. He was also the voice of Prince Demande in Sailor Moon Crystal. Oh. <laughs> as well as working on Ultraman Zero, Vampire Knight and Pokemon. And he actually has that u- typical, like, really committed um, Japanese character who's going against the mainstream. Yeah. But who also has the courage of his convictions and quite literally because he's a mutineer. Oh. So he has a little story arc there as well. But uh, it's a, it really is... Um, a, a ride this one I thought yeah I like this it's a very different Godzilla film and does it leave things hanging to return in part two and part three well there is a um, kind of a cliffhanger and yeah we will get more action happening will you be watching the other parts yes I definitely okay. I, I enjoyed this well that's a good you know you, good you could probably go through and poke holes in it but um, you know oh. I thought oh you know so if you're up for a bit of radioactive breathlessness, <laughs> go for Godzilla Planet of Monsters on the Netflix channel. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. Altered mm. Carbon, the American science fiction television series on Netflix, uh, which is... Um, by Jeff Russo, the titles there. Now, I have watched the entire first season of this. How many are we talking? Lots of episodes uh, or a tidy no, 10 episodes? Usual 10 episodes yeah. sort of thingy. Um, give or take one or two. Mm-hmm. St- stacks of fun, he says, making a stupid in-joke. Uh, now, it's um, based on the 2002 t- novel of the same title by uh, English author Richard K. Morgan, oh. um, who we have actually interviewed on Zero G one stage oh, cool. when he did uh, came out with his um, Cold Commands novel. 
which is a fantasy novel. But he's um, done quite a few other science fiction novels, and mm-hmm. he's so he can turn his hand to both. Uh, an excellent uh, writer, and um, this series, well, it's basically give you. A, I'll try not to spoil it too much, but um, it's basically a Blade Runner esque. Mm. Uh, techno noir series set about three hundred and fifty years in the future. Okay, um, but it's also got flashbacks to an earlier period as well. About uh, was it a hundred years before that? So, what's the big science fiction MacGuffin of this one? Blade Runner used androids. Mm-hmm. This one uses sleeves and stacks. Mm-hmm. Now. For some reason, I'm reminded of Land of the Lost there, thinking of stacks. But let's not go there. It is actually cortical stacks. Now, these are little, oh, I suppose we could call them um, computer chips, but they're basically memory storage about the size of uh, a small biscuit, basically. Okay. And looking actually like some kind of um, confectionery that go in your the back of your neck into your spine. Ugh. Stop right there. And, well, actually, this is the thing. It doesn't stop there. Now, this is actually alien technology Ah. that uh, we've adopted and we've we've encountered it amongst the stars as we've gone out uh, finding the remnants of an elder race that was out there once but doesn't seem to be there anymore. It's always great when we try to adopt an alien technology for our own use. That always ends well, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) But actually, this is um, a very good science fiction device in that uh, it allows you to download your entire personality and memories, basically you, into that stack. Right. Now, the sleeve is the body that you're in. So, now, what happens if you get killed but your stack survives? They can re-sleeve you in another body. They can do this via cloning. I see. So they've just put a bunch of their own words on top of idea, old ideas. Yes. Okay. Now, this is, this is something that people have uh, observed quite a bit about altered carbon. <laughs> it is actually altered. <laughs> it's almost like altered carbon from other people's words. Yeah. Um, but Richard Morgan has actually done this in a, an interesting kind of a way and he's really gone full on into the tropes. Okay. So he said to himself basically as a writer... We've got this idea, let's explore the hell out of it, which mm-hmm. is a very good science fiction way to do things. It's a solid thing. So they get a tick there from me for really working all of the angles on this. Yeah. So the main character is a guy called Takeshi Kovacs, played by Swedish actor Joel Kinnaman. Mm. And we have... Um, seen him before, but this series, before I go into that, this series is created by Leta Kello Gurridis, who worked on uh, Alexander in 2004, Nightwatch, Pathfinder, Shutter Island. She was an executive producer on Avatar. She's been an an EP on television series like Birds of Prey and and the short-lived Bionic Woman. She co-wrote the screenplay for Terminator Genesis. So she is also the co-screenwriter for the upcoming um, live-action version of Alita Battle Angel. Mm -hmm. So she actually does have a a pretty good handle on science fiction in general, which always helps for a showrunner. Now, Joel Kinnaman is playing Takeshi Kovacs, or one of his um, sleeves at least. Uh, he, which is really funny because he I'm was... I'm rolling my eyes. He was... You can do that in this show. 
and they do come up snakes, snake eyes for poor old Joel at various stages. Uh, he played Alex Murphy in the 2014 Robocop remake <laughs> and Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad. I'm not going to hold oh. either of those gigs against We're him. off to a terrible start. But no, that's just what he did. He was actually one of the contenders for um, the role of Thor. I can see that. Yeah. He looks a bit like a... Yeah. And also in uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, I can see him going for those roles. Yeah, he's just one big hunk of guy, you know, yep. like he's solid. Uh, you know, it's a Viking blood or something. But he's actually got, I think he's um, actually, his father was um, American. Uh, and I think he actually um, deserted from the US Army from the Vietnam War when he was on leave in Bangkok or something like that. Oh. It's a really complicated sort of... <laughs> things behind this guy, which is um, neither here nor there, but uh, Takeshi Kovacs basically plays the anti-hero of this story, mm-hmm. like um, Harrison Ford's um, Rick Deckard only on serious um, recreational pharmacological <laughs> enhancement. Um, you don't like the character really. That's not the point of this character, so get over it. You actually, you actually like an earlier sleeve of his a lot more, um, <laughs> an earlier sleeve, which is played by uh, um, uh, an actor who uh, we've seen before, Will Yun Lee. Um, he's we know him as Danny Wu in um, the old series Witchblade, mm-hmm. and we also know him from Bionic Woman and Electra and the Wolverine. He's um, a fairly buff young Asian American, and he is quite uh, an ass kicker in that avatar when he's in that sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, but so is Kovix in the uh, in the Swedish sleeve <laughs> later on. Um, we also get to meet a uh, somebody who's got a strong connection to Kovacs, and she is played by uh, Deechan Lachman, who um, is an Australian actress, and we know her from, uh, well, Neighbours. I wouldn't know her from that, but she was in that. But also Dollhouse, she played yes, Sierra. Sierra. Yeah. She's very recognisable. I was looking through some shots of this and I said to Rob, oh, Sierra's in it. She was in Being Human and she's the um, Sky's Inhuman Mother in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. So I remember from that. There are a number of other actors in this film, not surprised in this uh, series, <laughs> not surprisingly, um, that we've seen before in lots of genre, um, including uh, uh, James Purfoy, who plays Lawrence oh, Bancroft. I know that name. British actor... Producer and director too, by the way. We've seen him in John Carter and uh, High Rise and Solomon Kane and uh, Rome where he played Mark Anthony. He's been to so many of these different shows with a long, long CV there. Uh, Chris Connor plays Edgar Allan Poe and he was in American Crime Story. Edgar Allan Poe is one of the most interesting characters in this series. He is a hotelier. Um, an AI hotelier. He's an artificial intelligence that runs a hotel. And nobody stays in these hotels anymore because the AIs that run them, once they get you on their guest list, they're like stalkers Mm. and they're very protective and possessive, which is not what the average hotel guest is really in for Mm. unless you happen to be being pursued by bad guys when he's very handy. Mm. Now, 
The main character, Kovacs, is what they call an envoy. He's a specially trained rebel against the Protectorate, which is the main organisation that runs this particular universe. He's an ex-Protectorate SeaTac soldier mm-hmm. and he has not only fallen foul of the Protectorate and been de-sleeved for a hundred years, mm-hmm. being resurrected to help one of the rich people, one of the sky people, um, with a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. So this is where the procedural okay, sort of yep, stuff comes Okay, yep, kicks in. in. Yeah. There is a um, uh, police officer, uh, um, Ortega, and uh, she's kind of a, a, a Latino, ass-kicking, um, no-nonsense detective. Um, she's uh, the other half of the police procedural. So if you think like there's an episode of Castle gone very, very wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean Frank Castle, um, you'd be probably be, you're in that sort of ballpark. So all of these tropes are all mixed in together, munged together, and I actually find it works rather well. Yeah. Um, the ten episodes, I, I, I found they were a bit slow for the first couple as they're world building, but once they got through that around about episode four and started exploring the... The, uh, the different variations of the sleeves and stack sort of yeah. trope. Uh, I got really hooked into it. When the show goes bad, it's very bad. Like they'll, they'll, they'll step on a trope and it'll squeak. Mm. Um, oh, that's one of my most hated things. But it only happens very occasionally, I thought. Okay. Uh, one was to do with a, a medallion mm-hmm. and, a fa- and a family connection where it depended upon both people, one person recognising the medallion to recognise kinship. And that is such an old yeah, gag okay. and I just thought, no, I don't like this at all. But they did it and I thought, well, let's move on from it. <laughs> you know? Just brush that aside. A minor spoiler, uh, a minor spoiler really, um, and you mightn't even see, notice this, you have to be have your, your Highlander eyes on, you know, the Highlander movie and television series. Yeah. At one stage, Kovacs, picks up a, a katana that actually is pretty close to one of the Highlander swords, one of the iconic ones. Yep. Um, a kind of a, a hybrid of the one used by um, Duncan MacLeod and Connor MacLeod. Uh, and it may actually be a sword from that series that wasn't used in the show, but it but hived off from it. And we're all watching people, anyone who knows swords and stuff, watching this going... Oh, my God. Yeah. And that makes entirely good sense because this sleeve and stack technology effectively makes you immortal. So there can be only one. So. Mm. And, of course, if you damage that stack, your immortality is gone. You've got mm. no backup unless it's off-site somewhere. So, you know, the shoulders from the head kind of thing actually works with this too. This totally goes back to like a one-line friends gag that Ross is trying to hit on Elle McPherson about, you know, you could live forever as a robot if you can download all of your thoughts and yes. memories into her. Yes. Maybe that's where they got the idea for the show <laughs> from, from. Friends. From Friends. They're not, they're not 20 years ago. Well, Kovacs being an unlikely anti-hero, he actually does have friends. He yeah. has a posse. This is one of the... You need a posse to make these things fly. But it's actually more cynical than that. In in, in the Envoy um, user manual, that's one of their tropes. They can download into a sleeve anywhere, anytime in the, wor- in the world or off world mm. and they're, they're instructed that one of the first things they need to do is gather yep. um, allies and yep. support, even if they're all sacrificable. Oh, God. <laughs> in the long run. Well, it's dog eat dog, but, you know, sleeve eat sleeve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there are some other actors in here who I've, I was quite amused to see. Um, Adam Bush, who played uh, Warren in the Buffy series. Oh. He's actually a good guy in this one. So there's a bit of. He a, was the uh, least, my least favorite of the three. But. It's one one of the ones who you keep forgetting to. Yeah, it's flayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy parts of this show. It's extremely violent. Mm. Um, so I'll have to say I didn't enjoy those as much as some of the exploration of the scientific technology and the tropes, uh, which are well played. There is a trope in there that you'll recognise immediately. What do you think would happen if you had a technology that allowed certain people to basically live forever? Well, they just get richer and mm. richer and richer and richer, basically. Yeah. And so I'm rather glad we don't have this around right now. But uh, they actually go there for the whole lower city mm. and sky city above the clouds. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But, they, but they play that. They actually work that. That's where they get my respect for this. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff you've seen before in here, but they work it. Mm. And I like that. Okay. So, yeah, I, um, I think that uh, this one's worth, worth a look. Um, uh, stick with it to at least episode four, and if you've had enough of it by then, fair enough. Okay. That's where I would um, say it's it the really make or break. Yeah. yeah. And well, mentally, it's only about, you know, a handful of episodes anyway. So yeah. That's where they get you. Yeah. You know, it's like I might as well finish it. Yeah, it's only a couple of movies worth, really. Yeah. Time. Well, that's not how I felt about Iron Fist. I was happy to leave that one in there. Oh, and I happened to actually, this is the first one I actually um, watched on a device, totally, pretty much totally yeah, yeah, downloaded, right. yep. um, which is really handy. It is a really good feature. And the only episode I watched um, on a, a larger television set was a final episode because I figured <laughs> it would be quite spectacular. Yeah, nice. And it was. Oh, and the special effects in this are really nicely done. Nice. A lot of good stuff in it. Cool. Okay, so there you go, Altered Carbon, worth a shot. Nice, okay. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, is, it is quite uh, full on, so just be aware of that. One for the kids. Eyes open, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, out of altered carbon, Megan is talking about something that's totally printed with carbon. Yes, I'm digging into a book. So, the book I'm going to talk about today is called The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Now, this is a book that I read on Kindle, so it's available as an e-book, right now and it's quite it's very cheap look you can get it amazon kindle it's six dollars 47 you can spring that if you like the sound of what i'm about to talk about now the paperback and hardcover versions come out on the first of march but like i said the ebook was released early so that's available now if you're interested so it's by Stuart turton and published by bloomsbury And so basically I was trying to write down a little bit of a spiel on how I would describe this book for you so you could kind of understand what it's about. So obviously the title gives you a bit of a hint already and if you see the cover art, it's a murder mystery. But I thought I would just read to you how Stuart Turton, the author, describes it in his own words. So he says, It's an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery but set in a Groundhog Day loop with a bit of Quantum Leap body swapping thrown in. Our hero Aiden wakes up every day in the body of a different house guest, but it's the same day, so he sees the same event from very different perspectives. (laughs) So right off the bat, I was really interested in this because I'm a big murder mystery buff. I really love Agatha Christie. And I think it's sort of well acknowledged that... um, the kinds of stuff she does is a very singular type of mystery and he writes this very much. It's very much in the style of what you might read as a Christie story in the way that it's written, in the type of plot that it is, which is basically there's a big party being held at a crumbling mansion, Blackheath, by a family, the Hardcastles. Now, there's an earlier family tragedy, which I won't get into too much, but obviously 
there's an anniversary of um, a sad event, all different family members coming together, all different powerful and rich guests all staying together in this mansion. And as mentioned, you're reliving this one day in the body of eight different hosts. Now, what I found really remarkable about the book is that even though you're inhabiting eight different people, you do really get this sense of self of this Aiden character, who is you. And basically what happens is you wake up, you become alert in in a forest. It's early morning. You've got no memories. And all you've got is one word on your lips, which is the name Anna. And so then you've just kind of got to figure out who you are, what's going on, what body you're in, what's basically what's happening. Is this like um, uh, one of those murder mystery uh, nights, you know, where they give you a piece of paper? So it feels like well, a little bit. Well, except you're all of the characters. Okay. And so basically what it is is you live this one day as this one character and then you will live that same day from a different perspective as another character. And as you can imagine, there's all these different loops and the story is kind of the narrative littered with these little breadcrumbs of things to come back to and think about, um, you know, such and such has a black eye. You find out how he gets that black eye. There's notes delivered that you don't understand at first and then you realise what they're all about. You have conversations with the staff below stairs. You have conversations with other guests and you've got to kind of and I say you because I think you're very active in the narrative. I find I found it very engaging. So you have to, you as Aiden, have to unpack this day and this mystery. And all you know is that there will be a murder at the end of the night and you know who's going to die. It's not a spoiler. It's in the title. It's Evelyn Hardcastle, one of the daughters of the family. And you have to figure out how to solve that mystery and you use sort of the powers of all the different guests, all your different hosts, your body hosts, to figure out exactly what happened. And what I thought was quite interesting, and I don't think this is really spoiling it too much, but there's some metaphysical stuff in there around what attributes are connected between the mind and body. So you're inhabiting, your your consciousness as Aiden is in this host. But for one guest, you really have his intellect, but he's not a very mobile guest. Another guest, you kind of have that guest is a big scaredy cat and so you don't get much done because he's a big coward. But other guests are much more gung-ho and they've got a hot temper and they'll run into things and you can only control your host so much. And I found that to be very interesting in terms of how you solve the mystery. You have to rely on all of these different attributes of characters. So does this mean that there is that you'll be... I mean, don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the implication is that one of the characters will be the murderer. Well, I'm not going to tell you, Rob, so I won't answer that (laughs) question. (laughs) But I think one of the things is that I found so great about the novel is as your character gets more and more accustomed to what's going on, I think he's a bit smarter than what I would be in that situation. I would just sit in a corner rocking, not sure what was going on. But he had, obviously your character has to be smart enough to start putting feelers out, doing certain things to try to figure out the day. And you as a reader, you become more accustomed to what's happening in the narrative and what happens over the course of the day from the different viewpoints as the book goes on, which I thought was a very sort of clever device. And it's got all of the trademarks of a a classic murder mystery. It's set in the one location. It's also, so it's a closed location. It's a closed timeline. It's this one day. It's set in this large mansion. There's a big cast of characters, both um, those that are guests and those that work in the mansion. Set roughly, I'd say, 1920s. A car is a bit of a weird thing. So it's 1920s-esque. Oh, good. I like Um, that. (laughs) 
and there are rules. So there's a couple of different things going on, which I won't get into too much, but you do sort of unpack why this is happening. And there's certain rules about the day and how things all work, which is sort of fun for you to experience as you go. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to ruin too much about kind of the rules of the story and the rules of this situation. I also think the mystery itself is something you could figure out, which I really like. I don't personally... I like reading mysteries where you look back and you think I could have figured that out with all of the clues that the author has given me and he's given me enough to figure out exactly what the answer to this mystery is. I did not figure it out, (laughs) but one could. So, In theory. In theory, one could. There's a couple of other elements in there. Obviously, you find out who this Anna character is and you find a little bit more about the guests and sort of what's happened in the past, what's happened in the family. And it's really, it's quite a brilliant novel. I will say I enjoyed this quite a bit. I read it okay. in the space of a day or two and it's it's no short book. I'm not sure exactly because I read it on ebook, but I think it's, it's fairly long. So what's the title and, and the author again? Just so to... the title is The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle mm-hmm. or Hardcastle. Mm-hmm. Stuart Turton is the author. It's a fresh release so you can get it on ebook now um, and you can also then get a hard copy releases on the 1st of March. So I would say if you're a bit of a mystery buff, if you like the work of Agatha Christie, even if you're a bit intrigued by kind of this idea of... Um, Groundhog Day, time loops. It's not time travel per se. It's, it is time travel, but it's also got that added element of different perspective, which I thought was quite refreshing. Uh, it's, it's really clear to follow, actually. Okay. And there's a lot of little, like I said, there's these little hints where you think, I've got to tag that for later and think about how that all plays out. Um, no, you want, I want to read this. Now. It's, it's, <laughs> I really loved it. It's right, obviously, it's right up my alley. Yeah. So, but I actually think it's very clever. It's an interesting premise and I think it's been executed really nicely. There are some elements, obviously, that I think are weaker. Um, but in terms of the core skeleton of that mystery and use and execution of that eight different hosts device, I think it's done really well. And those hosts are quite uh, unique and you really sort of learn. You learn a lot. It really unravels in this beautiful way as uh-huh. you read it. And it's a lot of fun. It's pacey. It's an adventure. Um, yeah, there's all this danger built in there. So I would highly recommend it. Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, Stuart Turton. Get in there if, if it sounds interesting. And, and it's, is it only an ebook or can you buy it? No, so it will be available um, hard copy. It's just I okay. really jumped on this as soon as the ebook was available. I'm just curious, how much how much did it cost as an ebook? The ebook was $6.47. Okay. Very specific. I mean, but it's really tempting, isn't it? It is. And I think the thing is, if you want to get the ebook, you can read it on a variety of devices. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, wait for the hard copy. It's only a couple more days. So Hard copy of Hardcastle. <laughs> and the thing, the thing is that I did find, I will say, reading on an ebook, there's a, one of those nice little maps of the mansion and surrounds and it's a bit hard to see that. It's nice if you have a hard copy, you can flip back to that. Yeah. And so I didn't have that as much. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. I think you'd enjoy it, Rob. It's mm. a pretty quick read. It's, it's clever but it's not overly uh, verbose or anything. It's pretty accessible. Okay. Thank you, Megan. No worries. Um, just coming up to 2 o'clock, and I have uh, some sad news that I just heard uh, this morning, really, um, that uh, the actress known as Sri Devi has passed away. And she was um, 
an incredibly prolific mm. actress in India. Uh, her, she was no, her name was uh, Sri Devi Bone Kapoor, and she was born in 1963 and passed away just on the 24th, uh, apparently of a massive heart attack. Wow. Totally unexpected, uh, according to what I've read. She was uh, an actress and a film producer. She starred in pretty much all of the ethnic areas of Indian filmmaking, so not just Bollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, Tamil and Hindi and Kannada films. Uh, and really, she had been thought of as um, Hindi cinema's first female superstar. She won five Filmfare Awards, and in the 80s and the 90s, she was it. She was so hot back in then. She also had uh, careers in um, between 67 and 75 as a child artist and uh, went through these various phases. Um, she de- debuted on television in television series in 1998. Um, she went on to become a fashion model, and also, which wow. reversed kind of the usual yeah, yeah, trend. Yeah, nice. yeah, uh, And has recently had a comeback with um, a movie called English Vinglish, in uh, between in the uh, the 2010s, now there's two particular movies that, uh, and there were others too, but two particular ones that recommended as zero G. Uh, she was in a film called uh, Nagina, Female Snake, Ooh. in 1986, which was a very familiar trope for Indian fantasy films. Mm-hmm. A lot of them had um, shape shifting snake women, and there's a great dance sequence in there, unbelievable one, which is the classic of that subgenre. Uh, and she was also in the 1987 science fiction film Mr. India, mm-hmm. which is about an invisible man, really. Um, so <laughs> she was in that one too. So a couple of the ones that she had had definite zero G uh, genre elements. She was a singer and a dancer, mm. and do everything. All basically. round. So, yeah, very sad to hear the passing of Sri Devi. And that's really, you just called her that, Sri Devi. That was the, you know, she was a household name. And that's about it for Zero G today. Yeah. And uh, Joe Bernardi coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Next week, I think we'll probably look at uh, Winchester, definitely. Mm, sounds um, good to me. Really keen to see that one. And whatever else we've got coming out. Is Red Sparrow out too by then? Yes, yeah. I think it comes out this week. Maybe maybe Annihilation will be out on Netflix. Who knows? Who knows what's in store? Yeah. Okay, here we go. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.